You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. I said in the first lecture of this course that the term philosophy, in its ancient sense, and the sense that I've been using it, extends to all merely human knowledge, and it can only be contrasted to divine revelation. We have now surveyed that knowledge. We have seen something about logic and the liberal arts, which are the tools by which we formulate our thought and express it and communicate it. We've looked at natural science and its use of mathematics as a tool. We've looked at ethics and politics. And we've looked at the technologies and our use of the resources of our environment. That covers in a very broad, sketchy way all the fields in which humans are engaged in thinking. And in the last lecture, I indicated that we therefore need some discipline to compare the results of these different sciences, to see how they're alike and different, their difference of their language, their methods, and the kind of truth that they give us, and then to put it all together in some general picture. I do not mean to say that that means we know everything. All it gives us is a kind of broad sketch of reality. And as long as we think and live and experience and explore our world, we will fill in the details of that sketch. And sometimes that filling in of details makes the whole picture look somewhat different with a different emphasis. So there's no claim that metaphysics or the unifying science is somehow the end of our search. It rather is the synthesis of our knowledge at this moment of our history. But it gives us a more profound view, a more profound synthesis than merely referring to history because history is something so mixed with chance that it is very hard to make sense out of it. In this lecture and the last two lectures of this course, we are now going to move on to theology itself and try to indicate how some of this philosophical knowledge we have been talking about makes a difference in theology. I've been trying to do this as we went along a little bit, but now I want to put the accent on that use of philosophy in theology. Aristotle and Aquinas called metaphysics theology, a natural theology, a theology insofar as human reason can know something about the first cause of all things 
which is a spiritual cause, a spiritual being, in whom essence and existence are identical. By that we mean a being that has to be, that is self-sufficient in itself, depends on nothing else, and therefore could create the world by a free act, not because it needs the world, but in order to share its own power and its own wonder with the world. Metaphysics takes us that far to what we call God, that being who necessarily exists. That being is personal, a person or persons perhaps, a person, because it is the creator of our intelligence and our will. It made us persons. And whatever is in the effect must be in the cause. A cause can't produce what it does not have itself. As the scriptures say, can he who made the eye and the ear not see and hear? So when we come to the first principle of all being, material and immaterial, we come to God, and God is personal. He knows, and he is created out of his knowledge and wisdom. He knows all things, and he has willed all things freely, and he guides all things to their goal. It is frequently said that the proof of the existence of God belongs to metaphysics. And it is true that metaphysics discusses the nature of God and the fact that he is the necessary being in whose very nature it is to exist. He is the I am. But as I have tried to show in the previous lectures, the proof of the existence of God is not metaphysical, but belongs to the foundations of natural science. When science arrives at the discovery that it cannot go further in its explanations than certain fundamental material forces which cannot act on their own, but which require a material first cause. The famous five ways by which God is proved that St. Thomas Aquinas gives in the Summa Theologiae are not metaphysical. If you look at them, you will see that he has derived them from the eighth book of Aristotle's physics, particularly the proof of God from motion, which he says is the most evident of these proofs. That is the proof that there must be a God because the world is a changing world and all change requires a first cause that does not change. That's a simple point if we think about it. We know that in a clock there has to be some motor that moves the hands of the clock. 
In an automobile, there has to be a motor that moves the wheels of the automobile. In every material system, there is a first cause, a prime mover. To deny that is to make that absurd mistake that so many would-be inventors have made of trying to produce a perpetual motion machine, a machine that will just move in a circle. It can't be done. There has to be a first mover, and that first mover requires to get its energy from outside the machine. You have to wind the clock. You have to, in the case of our modern quartz clocks, there have to be nuclear energy, ultimately, which is keeping them going, and which goes back to the fundamental forces of the universe. And in an airplane or an auto, you have to put in fuel. Material systems are not self-explanatory. They get back to some fundamental movers, but those movers themselves need to be required be moved from outside by something immaterial. That is a matter of fundamental physics. And so it is fundamental physics that proves the existence of God. But what metaphysics does is to proceed then to give us some idea of what God is like. As I've just said, the first thing it tells us is that he is the necessary being, that his existence does not depend on anything else, but is his very being. Once I was walking around the residence in which I was living, and I met the garbage man. And the garbage man stopped me and said, Father, I couldn't go to sleep last night. And I said, why? He said, I kept thinking. We say that there's a God because everything must have a cause. But who caused God? <laughs> well, he was a metaphysician, that garbage man. He was working on the ultimate point of natural science, namely that everything has to have a cause except the first cause. The first cause must be uncaused. And so God is the uncaused, the necessary being who acts freely without dependence on anything else. You might think that that's obvious. Well, it is obvious. And yet if we look at the religions of the world, for example, the religion of India. In India, there has been philosophical and mystical speculation for many centuries. It's very profound and deep, and yet it has never been able to come to the realization that God is the creator that he does not in any way depend on this universe. Hindu thought solves this problem in a way that is unsatisfactory, that we call monism. It says that the universe in which we live is an illusion. It is a dream of God. 
and that when we come to understand reality, we will see that nothing but God exists, that we don't exist. Now, that kind of monism that reduces everything to God and that tries to say that the world that we see and that is the most certain thing we know is unreal, is unsatisfactory. It does not give us an answer that satisfies our search for truth. The truth is found only in the Jewish religion. The Jews have a unique mission in the world of witnessing to the God who is the creator in the strict sense of the word, that he brought the world out of nothing and he did it by a free act, not because he needed it, but for the sake of the world itself, to share with the world his being. And the world is real, therefore, because God has willed it to be real. It's dependent on God. Its reality is infinitely less perfect than God's, but it is reality because God has made it to be. And he's done that because he's a personal God. In Hindu thought, the ultimate principle becomes the absolute. Or in Buddhism, nirvana. And Buddha was unwilling to answer any questions about nirvana. It's utterly inexpressible. You really can't pray to it because there is no personal relation to it. And in the thought of another great Hindu thinker, Ramanuja, he saw that. He saw that you could not worship an absolute if there is nothing but an absolute. There would be no worshiper. And so he tried to modify the thought of the great Shankara, the leader of Hindu thought, some have called him the Thomas Aquinas of Hindu thinking. Ramanuja tried to modify that notion that there is only the absolute by maintaining that the world exists, but only as God's body. But if we say that the world is God's body, then we are back into some kind of materialism. The Jews, however, were given the revelation which is the basic truth of the Old Testament and the basic truth of Christianity and of Islam, that God is the necessary being who has created the world freely, out of nothing. Consequently, he is personal, wise, and loving. He wants to be known by us. Recently, there has been a tendency in Catholic theology called negative theology, which emphasizes that God is a mystery, infinitely beyond our understanding. Well, that's true. The necessary being is infinitely different than the dependent cause being of creation. The mystics emphasize that idea of the mystery of God, and it is most true. St. Thomas Aquinas puts it in at the beginning of the Summa Theologiae. He says, theology or sacred doctrine is about 
what God is, or rather, about what he is not. However, we must not overstress that. While it is true that God is infinitely inexhaustible, even in eternity in heaven, we will never completely reach the end of knowing the riches and the wonder of God. Yet, God is no longer a hidden God. God revealed himself to the Jews. He wants to be known by us. That's why we study theology, because God has called us to know him in faith and to seek understanding of that faith and to employ all of our secular human knowledge as an aid to theology, so as to understand what has been revealed to us more perfectly. That was revealed to the Jews. It is central to the teaching of Jesus. He calls God his Father and says that all things come from the Father. It was taken up then also by Islam. Muhammad was acquainted with something of Judaism and Christianity, perhaps through some monks that he met, and certainly through Christian monks, and certainly through Jews that he knew. And he came to realize there is only one God, and that is who is the Creator, and that is the central faith of Islam. Consequently, the two largest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, and Judaism, which is smaller, but is the origin of these two religions, witnesses to the existence of one God in contrast to other religions which somehow still live with a monistic view where the universe and God are blended in some way, or the reality of the universe is denied. This shows us why in interpreting theology to our culture, our first task must be to make God, the idea of God, meaningful. To show his existence, that it flows from natural science, as the founders of modern science believe. And as we can see today, scientists are again wondering about it. If they are right, and I don't say they are right, but if they are right that the universe began with a big bang, then you have the problem of, well, what made that original atom that exploded? What gave the laws that caused its explosion? I've read in some books from modern scientists that some have come to the point of saying, well, I guess it just happened. Well, that's no explanation. Others say, in reference to the laws of quantum physics, that it started with a quantum fluctuation in space. But that means there is a space of some sort, a field, which has laws, a nature. So that does not explain anything either because it doesn't tell us where the field and the laws of quantum physics came from.
So even modern science is faced again with a question of where did it all come from? And even as if the world existed forever, the material world, St. Thomas Aquinas points out that even if the world was always here, it would be a changing world because it is material. And as a dynamic, changing world, it is not self-explanatory. We still have to come back to God. Monotheism, therefore, belief in one God who created all things out of nothing, is the fundamental gift of the Jews to the world. And we Christians cherish it as the first article of our creed. And in theology, it is the ultimate thing we talk about. Everything else in theology reveals that God. Now it turns out that through the incarnation, we discover that the one God is a trinity that is a special insight of Christianity as compared to Judaism and Islam. But the doctrine of the Trinity in no way takes away from the notion that God is absolutely one and is the creator of all things. It is to that God that we have to attribute history. I said before that the modern way of synthesizing knowledge tends to be historical, to explain the world as evolving. And some people have thought, well, if the world evolves, then it does not have a creator. Well, that's bad logic. Evolution is itself a material process. It is matter somehow developing and changing. And we saw the existence of God is what follows precisely on the fact that the world is a changing, dynamic world that cannot be self-explanatory. Obviously, God, in creating the world, also causes the world to change and to develop. So evolution is God's work. When we apply this to history, and I attempted to show that now that is a synthesizing principle of modern thought to try to see a pattern in history, but we can't discover any such pattern because there is such an element of chance in history. When we consider that, then we see that the pattern of history is God's providence. God is at work in the world bringing something about. We can see that he has brought this material world to the production of human life. That was not necessary. There is no law of evolution that could have predicted that life would necessarily develop on our globe or that it would ever arrive at the level of intelligence. But when we know there is a wise God who seeks to share his happiness with others, we can understand why he has produced human beings who can think, will, be free, who are human persons, and therefore can respond to him and can know him and love him and share his life. 
Then history begins to make sense. The only law of physics that tells us about what will happen with the universe is the law of entropy, which says that our universe will eventually run down. How it will do this, we don't know by the laws of physics, but we do know that it will run down it will come to a state where nothing much happens. The only thing that can bring it to a real conclusion is a loving God who has a plan for it from all eternity. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.